Welcome back to the Hero with a Thousand Potions podcast with your hosts, Tyler and Nate. This is, of course, part two of our coverage of the middle section of chapter 16 of Remake. We're predominantly going to cover the museum that we explore in the Shinra building here, so not much content from the original game to go over, but there's so much information to unpack as we stroll these halls. It's worth dedicating an entire episode to. So, uh, hope you got your museum ticket. Let's go. Okay, we're going to shift over to Remake Floor 60, where we get into this museum grand tour. So it begins with a President Shinra exhibit. There is a golden President Shinra statue. Hey, we saw that in original, just uh, just, just discussed that a minute ago. And um, there's other large posters or images. There's a younger version of the president shaking hands with a man uh, with a white mustache and beard. Hmm. We'll stroke our chins at that. Who could that person be? And there are other artifacts and other stylish posters as well. One of the artifacts kind of looks like one of those like fancy, you ever, I ain't never bought one, but if you ever seen one of those like fancy $300 liquor bottles at the store and they come in like a, like a little casket or a, or a treasure chest or a, or some sort mm -hmm. of silly thing that they're encased in. He, it looks like he's got one encased in glass. Sure. And, the, and I don't know what it is. Uh, there's a golden gun on display as well. Shout out to the James Bond movie, The Man with the Golden Gun. Man with the golden gun. And, and it makes us sick to go through this because this is a museum, sure, but it's also propaganda. There's a level of opulence that we're witnessing here. Mm -hmm. And our heroes just can't stomach it. It's, it's disgusting to behold. But it's also educational because we get to look into the hubris of this company that's patting itself on the back as hard as it possibly can on these floors. Aboard the uh, USS Gerald R. Ford CVN-78, and I would assume all the other ships too, but the one I've been on, uh, there is a, a room of this size tucked away in a small little corner that has a breakdown of the life and times of Gerald R. Ford. So I would say that one is much more humble and respectful to whatever degree you can find yourself respecting a U.S. president of middling accomplishment and he wasn't elected was he Ford? he's uh he was yeah wasn't he nixon's replacement after nixon resigned Ford's the only one second yes you're right about that the on, only unelected president i don't think he's the only unelected Ford was the only person to serve as president without being elected to either the presidency or the vice presidency truman truman was re-elected though after he won it. He won an election. Gerald R. Ford is the uh, only president to serve as president without ever winning an election of any kind. So, uh, yeah, I was I was kind of reminiscing about that when I stepped into this room, though. This one is much more, uh, like I said, opulent. Now, I have a couple questions here, if you're willing to entertain them. Of course. And maybe even willing to uh, put in an addendum from Ultimania that you purchased. You you brought this upon yourself, if I'm being honest here. That's fine. By buying that. Okay. So the shaking hands with the man with the mustache, uh, we, we will learn who that is. But I have a question here of the progression of Midgar, and maybe we will have to ask this question later in the next episode, but 
I'm getting a sense that we've talked a lot in the past of a, a Midgar that predates what we currently know Midgar to be a place where there were a bunch of towns with names that no one remembers. And I said that 40 years is not enough time for that to happen for literally anywhere, anyone like I'm nearly 40 years old. and I remember the, the, my phone number and the old street address that I lived on before they renamed all of them. Right. So is Midgar essentially like, yes, it's a city built by Shinra, but it wasn't originally owned or like belonged to Shinra. It was a, it was a town or a city in and of itself before and through the process of like capitalism and monopoly and everything, they essentially made themselves the premier political and social economic power in the area over time because this like shaking hands of President Shinra and someone else makes me believe that like there had to be some sort of deal made at one point where they weren't in a position of power prior to this. They were on their up and coming stage. They needed to forge alliances of some kind. I don't know. That's just, that's what these uh, little history tidbits are giving me is uh, that there's a bigger story at play here. So I'd love to know what that story is. If it's available somewhere. I've got it here. Boom. On page 251 of the Final Fantasy VII Remake Material Ultimania is a section called A City Under Shinra's Heel, Municipal Government and Legislation. And it reads, Officially, a municipal government has been established and a mayor appointed, but all true governing power is wielded by Shinra. Midgar's legislature and taxation authorities lie squarely under its influence, and the company habitually implements changes and addendums to suit its goals. Indeed, all major decisions on these subjects require the final stamp of Shinra's executive board. At the start of the game, there are no organizations or other powers within Midgar capable of opposing Shinra, and in the absence of any such resistance, the will of its executive board is effectively and practically law. It doesn't say about the advent of, how do I put it, democratic elections or things like that. But if I could guess, it'd be a matter of placating the masses or at least installing a puppet to that end. Yeah, I'm going to assume with which the the simplicity and like truncated timeline on which the game is presenting us that everything happens, that that's the case. But I would like to think that, you know, again, I, I've offered up how I would have written some of these events or the timeline I, I would have placed it in. I, I would think it'd be more interesting if like there was a, a mayor, so to speak, uh, the, the mustache man that we'll meet eventually here in the as he's depicted in the picture and he is like an elected official and the people support him and like this new up-and-coming businessman comes into town and says hey i can turn this place around you know well let's let's do a deal if you you give me this you let me come here you let me do that you know uh i, I bet you know uh we can we can upgrade this place and the people will love you for it because you'll be the one that, that signed the deal with us. And we know from OG that that kind of happens to another city. And uh, that's like Barrett's origin story, essentially someone coming to their small village and saying, Hey, if you let us install this reactor, this place is going to, it's going to be a booming hub of economy someday, you know? So that's, that, that's kind of what I'm picturing is that, there was a 
pre-Midgar, Midgar, whatever the name of the place was before, like a almost like a Corel town in this area that Shinra waddles his way in and says, you know, hey, just give me a shot, Mayor. We'll we'll turn this place around. And and that's like that origin story being depicted on that picture there. But from the sound of what is in the Ultimania, I think that it's the other way around that Shinra was always the one in control and they just kind of like established a puppet government to make people think that they had a voice to some degree. Speaking about voice, I can read another section to, for you. Uh, media control. Go. I'm not going to read all of it. I'm going to get to what I think is the meat here. It says quite plainly, there is no freedom of speech mm. in Midgar. Shinra also, I, I truncated, so, but I'm just going to say Shinra also makes frequent and extensive use of the media to inform and communicate with the public and the company is capable of instantly mobilizing any media outlets who broadcast or publish information on its behalf. At the start of the game, interactive media like the real-world internet is not yet publicly available, so it's incredibly difficult for residents of Midgar to share information independently, further cementing Shinra's monopoly on truth. Hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. There is a peppy female virtual guide in the connecting hallway between the President Shinra exhibit and the next one, which is the Business Division exhibit, and she gives me big Battle Royale vibes. Nate knows, but for those that don't, Battle Royale is an outstanding and violent <laughs> Japanese movie in which, um, well, the, the, the conceit is that uh, a class of students in the movie, there's 42 of them, are gassed, shipped off to an island, each awarded some food and a random weapon. Some people get guns, some people get knives. The lead female gets a pot lid. And everybody has to kill one another within three days or the bomb chokers on their necks will all explode. And uh, in the first act of the movie, uh, the rules of the game are being explained to the, the the kids in this in this classroom via a tv and the and the announcer is this peppy young japanese woman and i feel a similar sort of like enthusiastic like peppy horror that i feel with this woman who's like like she it's all euphemistic and and wow what a great what a great uh human President Shinra is, let's move along to the next inspirational people on the team. Uh, and in the same sort of way, we get some of that in Battle Royale, where this person is like cheerfully, happily explaining that uh, these are the rules of the game. And if you die, well, you just, you just die. <laughs> never watched battle royale 2 it's stupid yeah it's fucking terrible it's not even a battle royale it's a king of the hill format sure well and and if you're wondering okay battle royale that sounds familiar this is the origin of fortnite this is the original hunger games yeah this is what inspired fortnite so when you see uh like um iron man uh, teabagging john wick <laughs> this is the origin of that also um ball and chain girl and kill bill is a murderous psychopath schoolgirl in Battle Royale. She got her start as a typecasted right. Japanese schoolgirl psychopath in Battle Royale. Now, we're talking about like uh, hologram attendant women. Um, I'm not a big fan of the Resident Evil movies that have come out because uh, they don't really follow the Resident Evil series. N not... Not that the Resident Evil series has wonderful stories by any means, but they're they're mildly enjoyable. The movies aren't great, but 
first movie has one of like well it has a couple of very iconic scenes but one of them is a, a nice little hologram like little girl that uh she once they get to like the core of the umbrella lab facility she's kind of running down you know what happened in the place and how the outbreak started and everything and then like right as shit's about to hit the fan like the hologram starts talking nice and she's just like you're all going to die down here you're all going to die down here this <laughs> just like super chilling moment and i'm like all right that was, that was pretty cool the other is the laser grid i'll just leave it at that i remember the laser grid right mm-hmm fresh meat as peppy female virtual tour guide does her spiel the large video display along the walls of the of this hallway is showing us each of the department heads what their division is and they all have like an associated icon you see hojo science blue spike scarlet representing advanced weaponry four purple triangles heidegger public security uh, a series of green boxes, Reeve, urban planning, a red heart, aw, mm. Palmer, space division, a yellow eight-sided star. And that's kind of it for the hallway. We get into the business division exhibit, and there are decommissioned models of droids and mechs and other shit we fought, and, and other like lifelike, like wax images of human Shinra forces, like the blue blue shirts and the red shirts. Each department head is represented as a hologram, and they each give, uh, and they each give us a little. In each of these hologram representations of these folks, gives us a little clue on their personality or at least their mental state of what they were up to at the time. The museum staff took their hologram likenesses and made them read from a script or whatever. And I've got a little rundown of what each of them do or say or don't do and don't say and i say that because scarlet and heidegger their holograms aren't functioning and are currently undergoing maintenance and i feel like it's more because we know what their personalities are like by now i feel like it's more likely that they were like fuck this shit i ain't doing it mm. <laughs> like like this is below me you you silly curators and um another and a funny thing about scarlet's hologram is that her posture is very unlike how we see her. Her shoulders are kind of turned in and her hands are meekly folded together. It, it's very, it's not very scarlet. It makes you wonder if it was another model. Hojo says this presentation is below him and a distraction of work so incredible you wouldn't possibly understand. My duties as director of research and development are, in all likelihood, far beyond your ability to comprehend. So there will be no presentation, as it would be a waste of my time and yours. But rest assured, we are making great strides. Albeit not at this particular moment, because I'm filming this rubbish instead. Uh, Palmer tries to read from a script, but goes wildly off course. And all that side talk he does stays in. Like, that's like the curators just kept it in because they're fools. But it's funny to us as players. What? Uh, read this? This paper right here? Give me a moment. Welcome to the Shinra building. The Space and Aeronautics Division has taken rocket systems developed for military applications and adapted them to a different purpose. The search for new precious resources in the infinite reaches of space. That being said, 
since we have plenty of Mako at the present, those plans are currently on hold. And Reeve is the only one who tries to do the job justice, and he gives a very articulate, concise review of what his job is and what his department does. Our mission here at Urban Planning is to supply the residents of Midgar with energy created from Mako. We also take pride in maintaining public infrastructure, the pillars and railways that run all throughout the city. Currently, we are working to construct an intraplate expressway. When this project has been completed, it will provide much easier access to numerous locations all across Midgar. We appreciate your patience and understanding in the meantime. Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with you on your your assessment here. Um, it, to me, this whole thing is a little baffling on why it, maybe maybe not why it exists like in the game, but why the person creating this exhibit didn't scrap it halfway through like if i'm the shinra creative director and basically all of them are non-functioning to to the degree of propaganda that this thing is invented for i would just record a voiceover of somebody else doing it then uh or or something but because you know palmer's revealing insecurities of the company and failings of the company hojo is belittling people and calling them idiots who can't understand almost encouraging them to further research into what the hell's the company is doing under behind the scenes which you don't want to do and then the two people like you said they they would think it's beneath them but i'm gonna cite two instances of earlier in the game scarlet she likes being in front of the camera. She appears on the TV and gives a, a rousing little speech. Now, the reporter was annoying her, but she's utilized the opportunity to, you know, spread some uh, Shinra propaganda on live TV, mm. right? Mm. Then Heidegger, same thing with the uh, Sector 5 infiltration, putting us on camera and putting on the, the show of his Airbusters stamping out... Um, the uh, avalanche unit and, and the the soldier having to tell him, sir, we're on air right now. So we know also that Heidegger likes being on camera. So I'm going to contest you on that. They thought this was beneath them. They would be the two people that you would put on the hologram espousing the wonders of what they're capable of. They are the most outwardly boisterous people in this group that would want to talk about their jobs, in my opinion. Fair comment. Yeah, that makes sense. And so it just kind of, I don't, I don't understand why in the game, they don't really give us a reason of like, oh, this one isn't ready yet. And then the other person that you would expect to want to hear from that one isn't ready either. And then Hojo's boring and Palmer sucks. So th <laughs> this whole room is kind of a dud for me. Yeah, I get that. Uh, in the next room, the next room is a connecting hallway. Uh, from rooms two to three promotional video of magical Mako energy racing through the streets of Midgar. Here we're going to learn about the magic of Mako. And in that next room past that hallway is a one ten thousandth scale model of Midgar. Little Mako reactors light up while a male narrator in a very soothing and euphemistic voice explains how we have Shinra and Mako energy to thank for making our lives richer and better than ever before. But the music is eerie and foreboding, despite it. And I wonder if that's a, that's a, uh, that's not, I wonder if 
because the music is foreboding, I wonder if it's not what the heroes are hearing. Because I don't think that... Because everything else is very euphemistic and sweet and and stomach-turningly sugary. Are you purposely avoiding dropping a, a diegetic on us? Well, if it was diegetic, then they would, they would be hearing it. Yeah, you, you can say not diegetic. <laughs> not diegetic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you can negate a word and still use it. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Nate. I couldn't think of the word. Okay. I, I think it's funny because that's like the... It's like cruise control for sounding like we're smart. Yeah. It's at the center of the bingo board. <laughs> Barrett has his usual clapback about how horseshit all of this is. But he adds something kind of interesting. He goes, even I used to believe that bullshit. And then he looks at his gun arm. Yeah. And it's interesting that he says that because, he, you know, we've had this talk earlier in the chapter of the complicity of the people. But it's like, if one experience is your turning point, your changing point for he used to believe this. Even he considers himself a driven, passionate, intelligent man with a purpose, but he had to get there through some sort of adversity. So you can't really like, like the dude that he berates on the train, right? In some Mm -hmm. way, if he's being honest with himself, he can't blame people for not understanding what's at stake because they haven't had this, experience of learning about and seeing the real Shinra up close, you know, the same way cloud says, you know, we have to go get Aerith, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. Because he knows the real Shinra. Once they blow that, that hole open and see the the test tubes and everything, they see what he sees. And so uh, that, that complicity, it's like, people don't really understand. And as the Ultimania points out, the propaganda, like you are, you are born into the matrix, so to speak, the the propaganda matrix. You don't even recognize that there's an alternative viewpoint out there. Like avalanche mm-hmm. is just psychos. That's all they are. They don't have a point. And uh, it, it's really interesting because these presentations, they're done really well to the point where you you could envision yourself being caught up in this narrative they they're i think they're they're very convincing and as it goes on and we see a couple more there's this level of like damn i can see how people would hate us us heroes and bear in mind like you and me and other gamers that are playing final fantasy 7 remake we're playing that in the year 2020 21 22 23 24 we're jaded and deluded and disillusioned as fuck because of the internet, because of how our lives and our, how, how our economies are doing. Imagine the quality of this presentation. If you're living in the 1950s, mm, right. Or the 1930s, you'd be like bedazzled by all of this rhetoric. And there is a little bit of that, like old timey, post because you know this is post Wu Tai war in their world it, to some degree it's mm-hmm. kind of still going on in remake but definitely an og so it, it, uh the car design the attire that people are given up top there is this like uh 1950s post-war aesthetic the game is even given to so it, it does kind of tie up neatly in that way of they're living in this booming age of peace now so what could go wrong right great question some hippies showing up with their drugs and sex that's that's what's going to ruin america 
and gun arms. Yes. But getting back to looking at the gun arm, even I used to believe that bullshit, I think what we're here, and if you played original, you know, and, and we're getting in, we can talk about original spoilers, so we'll just get into it. Um, the, the, to say that and look at your gun arm means, probably means that he, that, that believing that bullshit caused him to sacrifice his gun arm. We're okay covering OG spoilers, the 20 plus year game, year old game here. So, um, Barrett, he was pro Shinra in his old hometown. He wanted them to come in, put in the reactors, make his hometown a bustling economy at the center of the continent that he lived on. And his, uh, his best friend was like, Hey, you're going to kill we're coal miners. This has been our, our work our entire lives. These people are going to be out of jobs if you come and put this fucking reactor in because nobody's going to mine coal anymore. And Barrett's like, yeah, we'll find other things to do. It's going to be great, right? And so Barrett was the reason Shinra was brought in on the town. And that that very reason, and, and we saw that here in Remake, you know, there's a man shaking hands, supposedly inviting Shinra to do business with them, at least from my perspective in that picture. But Barrett was that guy in his town. Shinra came in, shit hit the fan, and then Shinra blamed the people that the that the people did something. And so uh that led to a bunch of events. But what happened is Shinra soldiers ended up shooting Barrett in the arm and blew it apart and he uh replaced it with a a gun arm. And is it in remake? I don't know if it's in remake or later in, uh, or a later section in OG, but somebody, I think somebody asks, like you could have just gotten it amputated or put a prosthetic hand there or something. And he says that he leaves the gun there because it reminds him of what he lost. And the fact that he's the one that did it to himself and mm-hmm. in a certain light, you know, he, him believing that bullshit and looking at his hand like that hand is a reminder that every time he hears one of these speeches every time the propaganda is on the TV or whatever all he has to do is look down and be like no fuck that <laughs> you know he he's not going to be swindled I don't know sure yeah the lady narrator says go to the next floor to learn about our progress in advanced science and technology we access floor 61, the visual entertainment hall, which occupies one attraction, the Cosmos Theater, which is like an IMAX experience. And Nate, it's funny to me. Did you pick up on this Cosmos Theater? Now, I feel like this mm-hmm. theater name is a soft nod to Bugenhagen's Planetarium in Cosmo Canyon, because in original, we have a IMAX experience moment in which we visit this planetarium in Cosmo Canyon. Why is it called Cosmos Theater here? Is it a soft nod? Maybe. I almost think that like it's the two are complete juxtapositions of one another, but we'll have to get into the content to understand why. Nate, I'm going to take a minute to to recite what we see right in the what the program is in the Cosmos Theater. There's so much to say about what this IMAX presentation has in it that I'm just going to play the bulk of what the narrator says for you right now. In the distant past, our planet was home to a people we call the Ancients. Many millennia before we discovered Mako, these precursors were already pioneering its use. Somehow they learned of the great reservoir of energy pulsing beneath their feet. 
And once they had, the ancients developed the means to harness this bountiful energy and bend it to their will. The fruits of their labors have survived to this very day in the form of certain kinds of materia. Their scripture, too, has endured. We who are born of the planet, with her we speak, her flesh we shape. Unto her promised land shall we one day return. By her loving grace and providence, may we take our place in paradise. 2,000 years ago, a meteor brought an end to their civilization. But before their fiery end, did the ancients find their promised land? Even now, we have only to wonder. Times have changed, and the Shinra Electric Power Company is committed to changing and evolving with them. Like the ancients, we've harnessed the power of Mako. Are they out there watching us, waiting for us to join them in some blessed corner of the world? A green inverted land where boundless Mako energy will provide for our every need. Shinra is working for you to fulfill the hope of the ancients and lead us to that promised land. We shall not rest until our dream is realized. So we walk in and it's this dead dome and we're like, what the hell is this? And then this little 360 camera comes up out of the floor and prints this huge, immersive and extremely realistic environment all around us. We feel like we're in a virtual environment. And it begins with shots from space racing into the planet and then to a field in the planet and then just past it, a verdant donut shaped plateau whose sides are covered in waterfalls and white stone cliffs. There are eight megalithic spires of rock that are evenly distributed around the plateau. And there's this natural citadel of rock or something like that coming out of the center. It kind of feels like, like an ancient naturalistic version of Midgar. And what I think what we're seeing here is a recreation of the ancients' homeland or something like that. Anyways, um, there's a narrator who, who's walking us through it. We see adults and children in simple robes casually using magic or Mako as an extension of how they live their simple pastoral lives. And the narrator goes on to say that these folks learned how to tap into the planet's energy. We're, we're getting a visual representation, I think for the first time in the FF7 verse, of what an ancient might look like, although this is propaganda. Continuing on, camera races into the citadel in the center, which we can see is an enormous and extremely old tree, where inside we see a cave covered in giant crystals and a ancient priest worshiping at a huge column of twisting bands of green energy, the life stream. The priest draws some of the energy into their hand, which coalesces into a crystal sphere, materia. And I think it's kind of strange that the narrator says uh, that they make that they make certain kinds of materia. The fruits of their labors have survived to this very day in the form of certain kinds of materia. I, I'm like, what kind of materia is exempt from this? Uh, I know that they do lab created stuff, but anyways, I'm going to keep moving. The narrator cites a scripture as well as a forest rapidly grows throughout and around this ancient village. And then there are summons that we can see as well. Ifrit, Shiva, and Bahamut enter the screen and they're kind of like playfully like rollicking, rollicking, frolicking through this idyllic pastoral heaven. What does a peaceful frolicking Ifrit do? 
He's a burning demon from hell. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I digress. Keep I, going. I'll keep going. So the narrator cites a scripture. He says, we who are born of the planet, with her we speak, her flesh we shape, unto her the promised land we shall one day return. By her loving grace and providence, may we take our place in paradise. So he's reading, allegedly reading from a scripture that they uncovered that belonging to the ancients. The story takes a turn. The narrator explains that a meteor crashed into the planet about 2,000 years ago that ended their civilization and then asks the question, did they find their promised land before they were extinguished? Now, the pastoral loveliness of the ancients community disappears and we see a rapidly building Midgar appearing before us and the guide goes through the usual bullshit feel-good platitudes Mako energy blah 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 and then the clincher of the MX presentation ends with hokey lines like are they out there watching us as bands of Mako energy race around the planet and then right when you've heard enough bullshit the final shot and line comes in we see a gigantic Midgar of the future we see Pure white architecture, white terraces, buildings, and a giant building in the center that looks like a bishop's mitre piercing a beautiful blue sky. And then the final words come out. Shinra is working for you to fulfill the hope of the ancients and lead us to that promised land. We will not rest until our dreams are realized. And that's the end of it. This scene is like fucking massive to all of the implications it gives on the storyline mm. and ways in which it like recontextualizes things that I certainly don't think were ever intended in OG but also wondering if are purposely intended to change things about the narrative in certain ways and so the first thing you have to think about here is the depiction of the ancients doing what they do, communing with the earth and everything. You describe the buildings and the, the settings and everything. So this, this hologram that's created for us, that's depicting all of this, the only thing I can think is there must be like scholars out there somewhere that work for Shinra or just over history. Have in the last, this is, they said it's 2,000 years ago the meteor happened. Yes. So just collected works that people have gathered up that are depictions of the promised land because if we don't know where the promised land is and we've never seen it or been there how do we know what it looks like and how in this hologram does it look like what we the players of og actually know that place to look like like those buildings are the same right so with that there either has to be like to a degree in OG, we just have a, a man who is interviewing somebody who has knowledge of the ancients and the ancients are able to pass down their like history, not like orally in a way, but through like spiritual communication with their ancestors, I think is the implication with Aerith. So that's how Aerith knows things about the ancients. She wouldn't necessarily, she was raised by one, but like she was a kid. So kids don't remember stuff. I don't remember stuff from when I'm a kid. But Aerith knows a bunch of stuff. And so I would think that actual ancients have the ability to pass this down. Did they record what these buildings look like? And Shinra got a hold of that and created a CGI representation of that? I think they're presumptions. 
Okay, well, they're pretty close then. <laughs> I agree. I think it's a, although it's a lot of placating bullshit, I think it is a fair take on what their community might look might have looked like. Right. Secondly, um, or you could say maybe this is information gleaned by Professor Gast. This is all his writings mm. because. You know, what was his angle? He worked for Shinra happily and uh, up until the point where, you know, he left, but left. because of a, a psycho dude, <laughs> right? But like he worked for the company and he met an ancient and, you know, was cataloging her uh, knowledge and everything. So maybe, maybe this, this is a, a remnant of his writings and research on the matter. Who knows? Then secondly, um, this idea that Shinra is, this is completely new to remake, is that like Shinra is making the uh, their industry and their lifestyle and the existence of Midgar, not just like a, a lifestyle convenience of like, we're making your lives easier. Like you, you can now make toast, right? <laughs> you don't have to hold it over a fire. You can put it in the toaster. Isn't that easy? It's not that anymore. That was the conceit of OG Shinra. This is now a religious and moral issue yeah, of theirs. They have a divine providence. Yes, to go claim the province land. And I think that's really interesting, this like idea of corporation and a for-profit capitalist entity co-opting the narrative of like religion. <laughs> because, you know, we have modern day examples of people who like they get on the TV and they say, what you sow will be returned to you. <laughs> you know, they they make engaging in capitalism a religious and moral issue because these dudes that you donate money to, they're the ones that are like buying airplanes and building and buying like $10 million houses and going on lavish vacations and everything. And that's all public knowledge. And yet they still tell you that it's a religious and moral issue that you give that money and people still do it. <laughs> For whatever reason so i see a lot of parallel with that that they're like they're not just saying you know because because people would be like you know i miss the simpler days i want to go back and live on live off the land and raise chocobos right but they're saying no we have to do this this is the salvation of the world at stake we have to continue this enterprise to arrive at the like heaven that mankind was once promised before this meteor thing happened mm -hmm. so i think that's like hugely interesting to the narrative of this game and we don't address it a ton after this from my memory but i'm hoping we get more of this kind of thing in rebirth because this is like I i'm super interested in this for sure i am too it is it is fun to see a rendering of neo midger it is fun to see Midgar position itself in a way where it has divine providence in a visual manner. For example, that that plateau with the eight rock spires and an even larger spire in the center. Like it's not a coincidence that that has the silhouette of Midgar, mm -hmm. although it is just a propaganda, an expression of propaganda. So they're marrying that homeland to. Midgar one to Neo Midgar, and it's more than just the the silhouette of the cities themselves. In an establishing shot of that 
primordial plateau, there is an airship floating in the air, like a primordial, you know, cloth balloon airship. Mm -hmm. But in the shot of Neo Midgar at the end, there is another futuristic airship floating in the air. You see the city and like the high rise towers and everything all the same. But everywhere there's vegetation, trees, nature integrated in with it and everything. Almost trying to like cover up or or like gloss over the fact that like, hey, real actual Midgar, the Midgar you live in here now is like actively killing an entire fucking continent. It is dead everywhere around us. And like that's even in the intro movie to the game, the withering flower that the in the wasteland they're creating this lie like this will be what it's like and it's like no your city does the opposite of that it's amazing and it's sickening and it's as fellow analyzers this song there's like god just a ton to unpack even just drawing the the materia itself out of the bands of live stream like like we don't know how they made materia i thought they like I don't, I guess I don't know how they made it exactly, but we, but we got a, a rendering, although it is propaganda, a rendering of what material creation through ancients could have been like. Mm-hmm. We got to see Ifrit before he got all pissed off. And it's interesting that in the same chapter, we, we get a scene of the, the ancients creating materia in this like serene environment. And then you see sh- we got a scene with Shinra creating materia and it fucking killing everybody in the room and, the sadistic woman leaving you know so it's like nice there's so many like the way they paint it is the exact opposite i'm so glad you mentioned that because looking back on the scarlet scene my only like the only relevance of that scene that i could think of was that cloud and team were on a screen and then it glitched and then they weren't Mm. but you've drawn another reason for that scarlet scene to be relevant to some degree, yeah. I, I think it was a little bit of indulgence, too. But and I digress. Uh, yeah. And lastly, like, they talk about the promised land. Um, that is obviously, a, it, it's just a term, but for those of us who have had religious upbringings or have general knowledge of Judeo-Christian lore, that is a very charged term as well. So it kind of ties in this game you know, Xenogears got some heat for all of the religious themes, but this game is pretty pretty religiously charged, even in OG, just with some of the terminology they choose to use. So it's not just a, a term that the host is using of like like kind of this this promise of the ancients. It's like a it's a very specific term for a place that in theory we will be going at some point in the remake trilogy right mm-hmm. did they announce it was three games they're gonna end it with three i think so yeah until they sell like 15 million copies and they're like oh shit we gotta keep going <laughs> just kidding but anyway yeah i think that's that's all i have to say about it about the promised land the judeo-christian promised land is land that is promised by god right and it's got milk and honey both Boy, does it. And in the FF7 verse, it is promised by the planet. So if we're going to ride the analogy, the planet is God. Shinra is siphoning power from God. Shinra is destroying God. Midgar comes from siphoning God's power. Interesting. 
And there is another parallel. I don't know that we have enough information here to draw on it just at this moment, but God's name in uh, the Judeo-Christian lore is Jehovah. And we have a Jehovah-like name in this game, but it's a it's a perversion. And it's interesting, too, that like all this lore of the ancients and books that you can find, it's very muddied in OG. And I, I would imagine it's going to be in, when we get into some of this stuff in Rebirth, on like, who's the villain here? Who <laughs> will eventually learn. We, we have some of these answers from OG, but I, I, I think I'll just hang on to them until we see what happens here as the game progresses. So that's it. That's the end of the IMAX scene, right? Oh shit, Nate. It's a double feature. No, we're not done. So those chosen by the planet plays, which is a song from, well, I guess both games. It's that horror music that begins with the bell. It's the, oh my God, Sephiroth is right behind me <laughs> music. Not only the bell, but the beating heart sound. It's a, it's like yeah. a thumping drum, but it elicits the feeling of a so it's like the the death toll ringing in a way Mm -hmm. we're not sure if it's a hallucination we're not sure if it's i mean there's no way shinra would have this actually displaying as an imax Mm -hmm. we don't really know what's going on here but something is wrong we see a hooded man, one of those other hooded men, like uh, Marco from, what was it, chapter three or four, standing in front. I'm not saying it's Marco, by the way. It's a guy like Marco. <laughs> standing in front. <laughs> Marco's come a long ways, man, if it is him. A hooded man is standing in front of a giant burning sun bearing down on the planet. We're on the Midgar streets now, and everyone is running like hell from what looks like the end of the world. Cloud looks up, and the sun is exploding above the Shinra building. The hooded man glitches and disappears as thick tornadoes of fire obliterate Mako reactors and entire plateside neighborhoods. Then several images flash in quick succession, a shot of the upper atmosphere showing a giant burning globe pressing into the planet, then Aerith's praying hands, and then a materia idling quietly. Back in the streets, where the chaos is still in full bore, the hooded man glitches towards Tifa and then manifests into Sephiroth behind her. She feels an impact and collapses to the ground. Cloud races over to Tifa, who disappears. He turns around and sees Barrett also lying on the ground with Sephiroth standing over him, sword drawn. Then Sephiroth disappears. He reappears behind Cloud as a burning tornado demolishes the Shinra building. As Cloud and Sephiroth stand back to back in front of one another, if you took a still shot of this moment, it would make an excellent desktop background if I were still 15 years old. It's going to one day make the perfect thumbnail shot, though, for if I ever get these videos on YouTube. Get it, man. Cloud whispers Sephiroth, and all goes black. <clears throat> all right. So you kind of mentioned it here, but is this a hallucination? Obviously, Shinra wouldn't have made this video in any respect so almost certainly and we know that sephiroth can deliver uh just call them intrusive thoughts to cloud right Mm -hmm. but there's a question here it could go one of two ways tifa and barrett are reacting to it Mm -hmm. is that a hallucination of clouds that they're reacting to it 
or did they actually see this? I can't remember. Remind me, Tyler. Do they talk about this once they get out? They do. Okay, so they absolutely saw that. I've got a quote here. So there's a scene that follows the fade to black, and then we come back to the IMAX, and Cloud goes, excuse me, Tifa says, that huge meteor, what was that about? I can pretty much guarantee that Tifa witnessed what Cloud witnessed, or at least some of it. Wait, so wait, now- the, oh, wait, 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 wait. Oh. That huge meteor was also in the original, in, in, the, in the first presentation. She right. could be referring, God damn it. She could be referring to that as well. After the scene, Barrett says, crazy ass thing made me want to puke and not just because of the presentation, but the content too ought to come with a warning. That ain't for kids. So he's obviously referring to the catastrophe at the end. So he saw it. Maybe. Barrett saw it too. I don't know, man. Now I'm doubting myself. You could argue that like the the bullshit rhetoric is so disgusting that it's not for kids cloud says that wasn't just a movie though so Uh, again there's the slightest gray area but i think there's a strong implication that they saw it too so sephiroth's not just i'm gonna go with sephiroth is not just intruding upon cloud anymore he can do it to anyone that's a fair take also if we're stepping into discussing them there's also a scene with palmer that we need to address sure we can do that okay you have it in your notes do you want to do it or you want me to i sure do so after cloud closes his eyes and says sephiroth sephiroth we get another scene small scene a palmer scene feels like this chapter has scenes featuring in which no heroes are in them featuring each department head and here's the palmer one i guess captioned 69th floor executive suite Palmer is sauntering down a hallway towards this board meeting we keep hearing about, and he's blathering about how a man like him of such fine tastes could run out of butter for his tea. Then Sephiroth just walks right past him in the hallway, causing him such fright that he drops his cup and saucer. He can't even believe his eyes. He's white with dread. And then we come back to the IMAX theater. Palmer says, no, it couldn't possibly have been, but he doesn't say the name himself but i guess there's an advantage to being a worthless little piece of shit like palmer is that sephiroth won't even bother swinging a blade to kill you <laughs> he, you're not even worth the trouble of unsheathing it or getting it dirty he, he knows you're of absolutely no threat to him so just walks right on by not part of the master plan relevant not a factor yes. Which I would want to be too. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Palmer, he, he caught a rare dub in this one. He'll take that to the honeybee inn later. Oh, God. He'll ask the bee girl to go, hey, so, God, could you could you put on these black jack boots and this black cape and here's this foam sword and could you just, could you just walk right past me while I'm drinking tea? <laughs> Woohoo! Oh my goodness. I can't believe my eyes. This episode has been a production of Gunblade Guys. That's us, Tyler and Nate. You should think about liking us, subscribing to us, five-starring us, writing a review about us, and telling a fellow game liker about us as well. If you love this show, or just kind of like this show, someone you know would probably just 
kind of like this show or love this show too. Join the conversation with fellow fans of the show on Discord. Catch us on Twitch and YouTube under the name Gunblade Guys and find a link to our Discord server in our podcast's description paragraph. And if you feel like tipping us, you can do that through a link in the description as well. And don't even think about emailing us at gunbladeguys at gmail.com. Knock it off already! Nay, what you got? What do I got? I got a 10-hour compilation video of folklore for you that i put together so rather than it being episodic if you just want to set that to play i will narrate anything that isn't otherwise narrated by a character for you you can do your meal prep for the week you can do your dailies in a video game whatever you want put that video on on the side and give me some engagement numbers please. I got to get to like 5,000 hours of watch time to be eligible for YouTube partnership. I'm just kidding. I don't actually have that as a goal that I'm trying to achieve. But if you like games like I do, I, I put that out there for you. Check it out. It's a good series. And check out the Parasite Eve stuff too. Yeah, I'm I'm going to do a compilation of that one, but I also want to return, cycle back and do the uh, Chrysler Tower at some point. It wasn't in the purview of the like Christmas special, but the the 25th anniversary Christmas special I did, but I I do want to do it and tack it on to the end of that video. So, I'll probably do a compilation of that one down the road too here with the next few weeks. So, I'm sorry, is that like a uh, post game stuff? Yes, and it I don't I don't remember. I only I did it way back in the day. I think it's like the 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 quote-unquote true ending or there's some sort of there's an additional character presented at the end of it. So, yeah. Hmm. I remember it being fun, but it's been decades since I did it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. YouTube. That's that's where I do a lot of my stuff aside from here. YouTube. It's the future. Yes. TikTok is the past. I, I also posted a TikTok of um, a painting of Ryu from Street Fighter. So, check out Gunblade Guys on TikTok as well. Talk to us. Engage. All right. See ya. After last week's episode, the intro. I I told Tyler in private, I said, wow, I'm surprised that intro made it all the way through into the episode. And you said you were feeling very... I was not feeling very uh, judicious about it. Yes, yes, right. Um, And then we had a a strong reaction to it from the members of our Discord. And and I had to come out. I I will officially say I, you know, I was joking a little bit. I considered that my, my like, humor warm-up is just, you know, a little bit of toilet humor, a little bit of this and that to get me in the mood to talk shit about video games. But I I will say that this this lies more on the spectrum of a medical condition than me consciously making a decision to have bowel movement issues. So, uh I'll just leave that there. We can we can put the issue to rest here and we will not talk about it again. It's getting squeaky. Getting squeaky with it. Na 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 na. Dude, we are old. Oh yeah. Back when people liked Will Smith. I turned 39 yesterday. I forgot that also happened. Right. 
You've got <clears throat> one year. Didn't we used to say 30-something gamers? <laughs> yeah. You got one year yeah. until you have to make an addendum. I'll be the youngin'. Wow, that really puts it into perspective for me. We're going to have to change the intro. <laughs> <laughs> do we still say that, or do we just say game likers? Uh, game likers in their 30s. Okay. Now, you want to know something, Tyler? Yes. That's 60 floors in college at UW-Stout. That's University of Wisconsin. I had a class. The, the whole campus, pretty big, but it's like the whole campus is kind of on a slight uphill to some degree then at the top of that hill there's a building called harvey hall and my one like general elective i had for how many ever years i had to do my gens uh my chats that's hilarious uh we had to do my uh gen eds they were always on the fourth floor of harvey hall the top floor and getting to the top of the fourth floor would kick my ass. But that was back, I, I weighed like 245 to 50 pounds then. And I dropped like 75 pounds. So back when I was like super heavy, I would get into class and I would just be like huffing. Or I'd need to take like a moment outside the door just because I'm going up the... And I don't know about any of you guys if you checked out all your books in college and carried them everywhere. But... For the first couple of years, I was that guy. So my backpack was super heavy too. But after I went down to like 175, I would just fly up those stairs like nothing. So I can identify with both a Tifa and a Barrett in this situation, except they did it literally 12 times as much as my experience that kicked my ass. And UW-Eau Claire, there's a hill that separates the upper campus and the lower campus. And you usually do a lot of walking going up that and... The student body tends to have very nice thighs. Also, I biked up that hill one time and I thought my heart was going to explode. There's that same hill that like goes along the side of the third ward. Is that is that Hastings? No, that's that State that? Street. Right. Yeah, biking up that hill is uh, a task. Yeah, yeah. That's about a similar... The grade is, is greater on campus, but it's a similar mm-hmm. uh, altitude. I don't know what you call it. So what's the, what's the hill? Um, like, is Nelson Cheese Factory still there? No. Well, it's it's been sold by sold to an uh, an employee who now uh, owns it, and it's a it's a different deli creamery sandwich shop. But it's fun, But it's got a lot of the same stuff. It's still like a deluxe cheese. It's still got ice cream cones. It still has hot sandwiches. Right. So if you take if you go from your house, you go near to that building, you take a right, and you go down a hill to mm. downtown. What hill is that? What street is that? The Harding Street Hill. That biking up that one was the one I used to have to do regularly back okay. when I lived with friends, kind of over in your neighborhood. And and mm-hmm. at first it was terrible, and then I got used to like the the standing pump. You go down to like uh, <laughs> gear one seven. I don't know bikes. I'm just one on the left, seven on the right, and you just kind of you know you pace it, and you're good. So. <clears throat> this can all go at the end of the episode the bonus content nate are you ready to go on tour yes okay that 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 rings work bells for me because i work in travel and we go to museums and we go on tour and we have tour guides i am a group leader and i and i do 
and I lead to her group. You're the perfect and man so, to take us through this experience, Tyler. Oh my god. Maybe I should do this with my tour director hat on. Okay. Alright, okay, so I'm gonna pretend y'all are a motor coach full of seniors. And you've got names like... Like Janice. <laughs> and Ruby. And Donald. Donald. <laughs> and I'm the dork with... And the dork with the microphone at the front of the bus. I'm going to say this quick. I was at the supermarket today where I saw a man who, you know, is obviously he's at, he's in the later half of his life. He's got gray hair, right? But mm-hmm. he didn't look necessarily old. He He's just a, a man who a little bit older than me, 15 years older than me, maybe. Right. Yeah. He is dressed like he is 97 years old. He's got the like the fuzzy felt like beret hat or whatever. I don't even know what you call them. Like something. My, oh yeah. My uh, I call it a driver's cap. Yeah. Right. Exactly. The, the thing like the little newspaper boys wore in yeah. the twenties, you yeah. know, and mm-hmm. then this like, uh, uh, trench coat that, you know, and looks, looks like what every single, the, the light Brown trench coat that every single man wore to the office back in 1943. Uh, you know, and I'm like, I know that that was not the prevalent styles of clothes when you were young. Like that, that's, that's your dad's clothes from your age. You're not that old. And I'm wondering, like, did he just see a gray hair pop onto his head and like, all right, that's it. I just got to dress like this now, I guess. (laughs) Anyway. Anyways. Your, your old people on your tour made me think of that. It begin the, I don't know how to riff like that. I'm not going to treat you like guests. I'm going to treat you okay. like fellow nerds. Because you are. That, where, where you were going with that? And done a thousand times better, yes. Sorry. No, no, don't apologize. <laughs> that was great. Oh, God, the Lady Nader. <laughs> Uno. Dos, tres, catorce. According to Bono. I gotta be honest, I fucking hate it when people use the word T-O-K as a verb. I'm just talking, man. I'm just talking. Oh, right, right. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, I'm not about that. Maybe we, because of the acceleration of internet and the internet culture and everything... I think we are going to be the oldest old men that have ever been old men because we remember a time when mankind was unified by actual language and discussion <laughs> and we're getting into an age where language is like evolving and being determined by online trends at an alarming rate. So like I can't even listen to Gen Zers and I like I don't understand half of what they're saying. I think it's amazing that we no longer live in a time where you and I have a, like are talking and we have a question and we like, I wonder what the average mass of a, the whale shark is. We like think <laughs> we want to know. And then we just wouldn't know. Yeah, that's true. We would just move on. Yeah. That was life for all of human civilization until 30 years ago. Right. My case, my case in point for my language thing is, um, I, I don't know why or how 
that drip means clothes. And I don't know how I I still don't know like I I I don't think it means clothes. What does it mean? I think it means fashionable coolness. Like it can mean clothes. Okay, so your your overall style. Like a a beard could be part of your drip. I think so. Okay, right. Also, I kind of understand what it means, but I also don't understand what it means. What is riz? Riz is uh, getting energized. I don't know. That that that's not the context. I'm I'm guessing it's like a modern version of swag. Like did swag just get become so incredibly uncool that we had to come up with a new word for swag and now it's riz. Anyway. PS Whale Sharks, twenty thousand pounds. Tyler out. Gerald R. Ford, only unelected president.